Hello, this is Roya Frugi, and you are listening to Slow Clean Air Podcast. We are here today talking with Carl Tupper, an air quality specialist in our monitoring division. Carl will be talking a little bit about our air monitoring network throughout the county. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah. So let's first start off by telling everyone where our monitors are located throughout the county. So there are 11 permanent air monitoring stations in the county. They are in all of the the bigger cities in the county. So we have one in Morro Bay, San Luis, the city of San Luis Obispo, Atascadero, Paso Robles. We have a cluster of them in South County near the uh, Oceano Dunes. And then we have two more in remote areas of the county on the east side. So we have our Red Hills monitor, which is off of 46 as you head out towards San Joaquin Valley, and then we have one on the Carrizo Plain. So there's a total of 11, as I just mentioned. Um, We actually run nine of them, and then the Air Resources Board runs the other two. Okay, great. So just based on what you're saying, the APCD has like a pretty extensive network of monitors. So what exactly are you monitoring for? Yeah, it's different things in different places. Basically, what we're looking at are the pollutants that are regulated under the Federal Clean Air Act. So we're talking about ozone, oxides of nitrogen, SO2, sulfur dioxide, and particulate matter, both PM2.5 and PM10. So we're, we're measuring ozone at probably more sites than anywhere else. We measure ozone on the East County at those sites I mentioned, Red Hills and Carrizo Plains. We also measure ozone in Paso, Robles, Atascadero, San Luis Obispo, Nipomo, and Morro Bay. Um, and we measure oxides of nitrogen in Nipomo and in Atascadero. We measure sulfur dioxide just sort of downwind of the refinery on the Nipomo Mesa, the Phillips 66 refinery. Mm-hmm. And then particulates we measure, we have a really dense network of monitors right around the Oceano Dunes because we know that's where we have a big particulate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we see the highest levels in the county in that area. So we have um, four sites in that area that have particulate sensors or t- particulate matter monitors. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also measure PM in uh, Paso, Atascadero, and San Luis Obispo. At all of these sites, we're also, at the, at the same time that we're measuring pollution, we're also measuring meteorology. So wind speed, wind direction. Oh, wow temperature at most sites. A couple of sites we also measure things like relative humidity. So based on what you are monitoring at those different locations, how do you select the best locations for each monitoring station? Yeah, so there's a couple of considerations. Um, there are some federal requirements for a district like us. We have to run a certain number of ozone monitors, a certain number of PM monitors, and we have to have those in areas where we think we have to have at least one monitor in the area that we think is going to measure the highest. We want to keep, keep an eye on the highest pollutant levels that we can. But in addition to that, I mean, our network is much more extensive than sort of the bare bones federal requirements. And so we have, you know, we're really, we're really interested in um, human exposure, population exposure. So all the big population centers in the county, you know, Paso, San Luis Obispo, all the cities have a station with that's measuring at least a couple things. Mm-hmm. Um, on the east side of the county, we get infiltration of ozone, high elevated ozone levels from the San Joaquin Valley under certain conditions. 
And so that's why we have these monitors out there because we're, we're monitoring that situation. And even though there's not many people who live out there, um, that is where we see the highest level. So we need to keep an eye on it. And then as I alluded to earlier, um, in the South County, we have some very high particulate levels downwind of the Oceano Dunes State Vehicular Recreation Area. And so we have a, a bunch of PM monitors in that area keeping an eye on, on what's going on. Okay, great. And then what goes into the maintenance of a monitoring station? There's a lot of work. This data um, is used by a lot of different users, and so we want it to be really high quality. Um, so, some of the data is just going out in real time, that, and that just hasn't gone through any sort of validation procedure. Um, but people want to know right now, you know, what am I being exposed to? And then other data is going to go through a very tedious, um, very in-depth validation procedure because in some cases, you know, million dollar decisions are going to be made on it um, mm -hmm. by at the federal level, by the EPA. So it's really important that we keep these stations, uh, get the monitors in the stations kind of, you know, humming along and collecting good data. So we're at each station at least once a month. Some stations at least twice a month doing um, routine preventative maintenance and then also what we call QC checks, but basically we're looking, you know, we're testing the instruments, we're challenging them with known concentrations of pollutants or doing other tests to kind of make sure that they're working properly mm -hmm. and give us confidence in the data. And then these are scientific instruments. They're not a refrigerator that you plug it in and it runs for 10 years and then it just dies. I mean, these are sensitive scientific instruments that do require a lot of periodic maintenance and occasionally things break, they go bump in the night, we gotta run out there and figure out what's going on, why it's, you know, why the instrument's malfunctioning or giving data that doesn't look right. We try to, we have a robust preventative maintenance program, so we try to minimize, you know, how often we do see failures, but, you know, it's gonna happen when you're dealing with very sensitive equipment. So, um, so yeah, I mean, there's we're at each site as, as I said at a minimum once a month, and then some depending on the instrumentation twice a month. But frequently, it's a little bit more. It's a little bit uh, at a at a higher frequency than that because little things go wrong, or um, or we see opportunities to make improvements, so we go out there proactively and do these things. And then for the public that wants to see the data that you mentioned is being collected by these mm -hmm. stations, how would they go about doing that? There's a number of sources. Uh, they can go to our website, and I should say there's two things. There's the forecast, which is done by a meteorologist, and, and then there's the actual data that the monitors are reading in real time. And um, you know it's easy to kind of be confused, confuse the two. But if you go to our website, you can see our forecast. You can kind of click through that, and that'll take you to what the monitors are actually reading right now. There's also airnow.gov, which is the whole country, and if you go to airnow.gov, you're, what you're presented with is the forecast, but then you can kind of click through and see what the actual levels are. Mm -hmm. And then ARB, you go to ARB's website, they have this, they call it ACMIS2, A-Q-M-I-S-2, um, you click through there, and again, you can see um, not just our data, but real-time data from all across California. Um, right. Yeah, there's a, there's a few other websites that kind of pull data out of those sources I just mentioned and, and present it in other ways as well. So That's great. So there are a lot of different ways for them to look mm -hmm. at it. Oh, and I should say, that's like real-time data. You want to know what's happening right now or, you know, 
yeah, you, if you want to know what's happening right now, you can go to those, those sites. But if you want, for people who are just curious or researchers who are doing like air pollution research, you know, there's Treasure Trove is a huge archive um, of data dating back um, in our county at certain sites to the 80s or even 70s oh, and wow. nationally back to the, in some cases, I think to the 50s or 60s, all of that is available um, through the EPA website. That's great. So I know the APCD recently got a mobile monitoring um, station up and running. So can you tell us a little more about that monitor, for example, how it's powered? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, we, we recently um, got a grant. We were very lucky to receive this uh, grant to build what we're calling the mobile monitor, which is a trailer that has two particulate instruments. So we're measuring PM10 and PM2.5 as well as a meteorology tower that measures wind speed, wind direction, and uh, temperature. Mm -hmm. And this is, the instruments that are in this mobile monitor are what we call regulatory quality. So we have some other cheaper, easier to deploy particulate instruments, but they're also, you know, the data is not quite as good as what we get at our permanent stations, but this mobile monitor has this identical equipment that we have at our permanent station. So it's really giving the highest possible quality data. Um, and so, as I said, right now we've got PM10 and PM2.5 in there. We also, you know, we could, if we were interested in ozone, we could throw an ozone monitor in there and monitor ozone. Um, but the idea here is it'll allow us to get data from places where we don't have a station where we might be interested in. And sometimes where we where it would really be useful to have data is a place where we can't just plug things into the, you know, there's not an outlet there to plug into. It might be the middle of nowhere. Um, so we actually got another grant, or actually this is money that came out of a, a negotiated settlement um, for some violations. But at any rate, we were able to purchase and build a solar trailer, which uh, so the trailer's got solar panels on it and batteries and inverters and all the stuff that goes along with it. So now, if we do want to take measurements from an area where we don't have power, we can pull the monitor out there, we can pull this solar trailer out there and plug it in, and we've got power. Um, That's great. So yeah. And so we're thinking um, right now, a big focus is on the area downwind of the uh, Oceano Dunes vehicular recreation area. We already have a lot of monitors out there, but there are other places, there are still places where we'd like to know um, what the levels are. For example, we don't really have any permanent stations in the middle of neighborhoods. So we're collecting all this real-time data and in some cases the numbers we're seeing are quite high and people who live down there I think rightfully are concerned about what they're breathing. So it would be nice to have a monitor that's actually in a neighborhood to find out like you know how does that neighbor how do the levels in that neighborhood really compare mm -hmm. to what we're measuring at some of these other sites which are frankly a little bit closer to um, the source and therefore you expect to see higher levels than what you would see in these neighborhoods. So we're, we're gonna use it for that. There's also a big modeling effort underway um, with the help of ARB to kind of understand the, the emissions from the dunes and uh, you know the conditions under which we see high levels and get a better spatial um, a better idea of the spatial extent of the plume. And so using this monitor, we can collect data that might be used to help validate that model. Um, 
you know, test, test that model, see how well it's actually, see how well its predictions actually are. And then, so I think, the, I think the motivator for this was really the dunes and the PM issue. But now that we have this thing, you know, there, it opens up other possibilities. So um, I know we've had, there have been questions, particularly from the public, about wood smoke impacts, particularly in the wintertime. Um, so this is a platform we might be able to investigate some of that. Um, if there are wildfires that are impacting an area, um, we have temporary monitors we can drag out there, but this is just sort of like one more piece of equipment that if we, you know, really feel the need for it, we have this other platform to get, you know, real-time data on smoke impacts um, in a community where we don't have a permanent monitor. Um, so there's lots of, you know, we see lots of opportunities, uh, lots of, yeah. There are a lot of uh, potential opportunities to use this equipment, use Definitely. the mobile monitor. And are they easy to move around? Yeah, I mean, it's this is it's a big platform, especially if you include the solar. Um, but you know, we hitch to the back of a pickup truck, we drag it out to a site. It takes, you know, maybe an hour or two to kind of get up and running again. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we want to, when we're done with it, um, it probably takes another hour or two or three to kind of pack up and, and move it away. There is some effort involved in setting it up and moving it around, but it is it is fairly mobile. We have this thing, you know, I, I mentioned wildfires as for the mobile monitor as a potential use of it. Also just a general emergency response. If there was a train derailment or um, who knows what, an asteroid hits us or something, <laughs> you know, like th this is a, just another tool in our arsenal, another yeah. weapon in our arsenal to go out there and get some data. Um, and it's all hooked up to the web, cellular modem. I mean, we're streaming data back in real time. So, it, it, you know, in an emergency response situation, it could be um, pretty, pretty Important, useful. Yeah. But so, yeah, in terms of deployment, it um, takes a few hours to deploy it. You know, once we drag it out and put it down, it takes a few hours to get things up and running. Um, uh, probably another couple hours if we include the solar. We got to get that out there and hook things up and test things, make sure they're working. But it's pretty, it's pretty mobile. I wouldn't, I don't anticipate that we're going to be moving it around every day or every week. It's more of a bring it somewhere, leave it there for a month, bring it to the next location, leave it there for a month. It's more of that, that time frame of, of deployment that we're looking at. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So are there any final comments or anything that you'd like to share with the public about the work you're part of? I mean, I would say, I think, I'm really proud of the air quality network that we have here in San Luis Obispo. It's very extensive. It certainly goes above and beyond the federal minimum requirements. And I think, you know, I'm really proud of the work we do to uh, inform the public. Well, thank you so much for all of that information. And um, honestly, the work, without the work you do, I don't think a lot of the other work could be done around here. So <laughs> Yeah, it's all a big cycle, right? I mean, yeah. it starts with the data and through everybody else so yeah well thank yeah. you so much and thank you all for listening for more information you can visit our website at slowcleanair.org or follow us on twitter and instagram at slowcleanair or our facebook under slow county air pollution control district have a wonderful day